0: Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. When we when we reflect on Jesus and we reflect about what made him so wonder filled and what made him uh, so uh, fascinating and what caused people to to leave their houses and run out to the thing that that drew people in it was really it wasn't just because he performed signs and wonders and we we saw some of this happening with with the. With the prophets of the Old Testament, we saw that, but but Jesus had something special about him. And what that special thing was is the glory of God. The glory of God rested on Jesus. And today we're gonna to talk about glory. Everybody say glory. Now you gotta say that in your old school church voice, all right? Everybody say glory glory. And so so when we talk about glory that's kind of like an abstract word, right? The whole everything that we're talking about in this series is kind of abstract. And so it's when we say the word glory we're like what is it? What does that even mean, right? When we think glory we think glory is something that that people get when when they get accolades, right? Well, we just we give you glory. In other words, we give you recognition, we give you appreciation, but really the biblical definition of, of glory can include that, but but at its root it's something a little bit different. And that's what we're going to explore today. This is the thing that drew people to Jesus was the glory that rested upon him. Not necessarily the glory that people were attributing to him, but the glory that he carried that rested upon him. And how many of you know that every person has a glory on them? Did you know that you have a glory on you? You were born with a glory. Now, I don't, I don't believe that you were born with the glory of God. You might have been born with it, but as soon as you sinned, you lost it, right? And so when you so we lost that. We, we are still glory bearers, but we have to be reborn to recapture that, right? But you were born with the glory. You have a charisma about you. Now, it might be different than mine, but there is something that rests on your life that brings attention to you. Right? There's a glory. Scripture talks about this a lot, talks about the glory of man. We even one of the scriptures we've been we've been exploring, it's the glory of kings. So there is a there is a glory that rests upon people. And and some people have like, like a lot of it. Right? You've met people that have a lot. I think about Pastor Nathan. He has a, there's a glory that rests on him, a natural glory that people are attracted to. There's, there's something about him. There's a charisma that you go, man, I'll, I want to know that guy, right? When we think of people that are famous or people that have a, a, a certain position in life or they've achieved certain things, they carry a glory about them. There's something that we look at them and we're fascinated about. We're like, there's something about you, right? So, so naturally, we all carry a glory. And Jesus, carried a glory, but it was, but listen, it was, it was far, 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 far more superior than, than any person has ever carried, right? There was, there was something that was on his life and the glory of man, the natural glory that people carry fails, fails deeply in comparison to the glory that rested on Jesus. Check this out. John chapter 114 says, the word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Other words, Jesus, the, the word from the beginning, this come on, the, the son of God who's always been the son of God, who from eternity past has always been, he became flesh. Other words, he didn't always have flesh. This is the incarnation. He didn't always have flesh, but then he had flesh. Now he will always have flesh. Did you know that? That Jesus will always have skin, earlobes, elbows, right? Jesus will always have that. But he didn't always have flesh. And we, when he took on flesh, we call this the incarnation. He became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. In other words, God said, I want to be a person. Right. Right? I'm already a person, but I want to be a physical person. I want to be a person in spirit. I don't want to just be God in spirit anymore. I want to be God in flesh. So Jesus came and became God in flesh. And it says this, that we have seen, we have beheld his Glory. So we saw the glory of Jesus, we beheld it, we were fascinated, we're like, his glory. We get it. We get the glory of Jesus because we saw it, we experienced it. And this is what John's saying, one who actually saw Jesus physically. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So grace and truth came out of the glory of Jesus. What is glory? Glory. Glory, the, the, the Hebrew word, the Old Testament word for the word glory is kabod. Everybody say kabod. You could even say the kabod of God. What is, what is glory? Glory is the kabod of God. The kabod means simply this, the weight. The weight, the heavy weight of God. What you're, you're putting glory on the chair that you're sitting on right now. You're putting your weight on it. You're resting upon it. So when we talk about the glory of God, what we're talking about is God's tangible reality being made known. His weight. When you worship, you know, some old school people call it, call it the anointing, right? Some new school people talk. We say the anointing has come. The anointing has lifted. Really, the word really that we should use in that is really the glory. Because it's the weight. God has made himself present, He's made himself real. He put his weight on the moment, right? When you're in worship and you're like, you start getting chills and something rises up in you and you're like, yes! What is that? It's the glory of God is weighing heavily on you in that moment. You were experiencing the glory of God. Different than what you experience at a Celine Dion concert, right? Now, sometimes the manifestation is the same. Sometimes you get the chill bumps and the tears and all that but it doesn't transform you. It might inspire you, but it doesn't transform you, right? Now, it has a weight. Now, the crazy thing about this weight is that it's only measurable by what we experience, but it's really immeasurable in the sense that it has no end to its weight. So the glory gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. Are you tracking? So it has a weight. We experience a weight. We can measure that weight by our feelings, by our transformation, by the th- things that happen after those moments. That's, By the way, that's how you measure an encounter with the Lord, How not how powerful it felt in the moment, but how much it impacted your life for the decades. That's how you measure an encounter, not like, hey, I fell down and everything changed. Maybe that happened, but it wasn't because you fell down. It wasn't because you even spoken tongues. It wasn't even because you felt chill bumps. It's because you encountered God and maybe those things came along with it. Right? And we love all that. And so what it says is that Jesus carried the weight of God. So the fullness of God, and that's what it says in Colossians 1:19. It says, For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. Did you know that Jesus carried the full glory. Jesus carries the full weight of God. You want to know what God looks like? You look at Jesus. If it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not God. Jesus possessed the full weight. If someone says God did something and it doesn't look like Jesus, God didn't do that. Jesus carries the full weight, the full glory, the full revelation. Listen, the full revelation of God is summed up in Jesus. Come on. So good. So Jesus is the full revelation. He carries the full weight of God. The fullness of God can be revealed in Jesus. Now Moses, before Jesus in the flesh, before Jesus in the flesh, Moses experiences glory. In fact, it was the glory that Moses experienced was the reference point for the people of God. They were like, how does God move? Let's look at Moses. What happened to Moses? This was the reference point. This is why they had the law of Moses, right? Because the law of Moses reflects back to what Moses encountered. Right? Now, how many know you don't have, to have a man anymore to go to? right? Now you can have your own. You don't have to, the, the man that you have is Jesus, right? The direct connection to God. So Moses was the, the marker. The law of Moses was the marker. Everything was measured by him. So Moses, we know the story, he goes in, he leads the people out of Egypt, right? He leads them into, the, into he was actually supposed to go through the wilderness, but he ended up leading the people to the wilderness, right? How many know it was never God's plan for them to spend 40 years in the wilderness? Never. They were supposed to go through it. Just like you, you're not destined for your season for 40 years, your difficult season. You might be called to go through a season to get you to God's promise. But God, God doesn't destine you for the desert. It's ridiculous. They were supposed to be there for like 10 days. They're there for 40 years, Was it because of God? No. Was it the will of God? No. God's will was for them to get the, the covenant that God gave Moses and then move on. But they got stuck. They got stuck. That's exactly what happened. Because of their fear and because they didn't trust God. All right. That'll preach, but that's not what we're preaching on today. So what happened, Moses leads the people out and God's like, okay, I need to give you something. He's like, what is it? He's like, well, it's this thing called... The law, right? It's the, the, the Mosaic contract. It's the covenant that God made with his people. So he gives Moses the Ten Commandments, right? We're familiar with this. Now, it wasn't just the Ten The law isn't just the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a good universal law that transcends time, seasons, all this kind of thing. It's just, they were just good things that were already expectations before the law ever came, did you know that? It was already wrong to kill somebody. It was already wrong to have idols. All that was already, God said, let's just put it in writing, right? Later, he said, look, I'll write it on their hearts when they have the Holy Spirit. The way that you know that somebody has a Holy Spirit or not is really how they're living, is the law written on their heart, the moral law. So, so God calls Moses, gives him the law, and while he's getting the law, the people start worshiping idols. So God's like, I'm done with you. Here, I'm trying to give you something. I'm trying to help you out here, and you're worshiping idols when Moses is away. So Moses comes down off the the mountain. The people are worshiping idols. He gets frustrated. He breaks the Ten Commandments. Now, some of you all don't know this, but Moses grabs the Ten Commandments and breaks them. He's like, God's done with us. I'm done with you. We're finished. And God's like, I'm not going with you. That's not a good place to be. God's like, I'm done. I'm finished. So Moses has this moment. He has a tent that he would go to and that he would spend time, and that's where he would talk to God. How many know that you need to have a place where you go and talk to God? So Moses had a place where he went and talked to God. So he goes and he meets with God in this tabernacle, and God would speak to him. And so and at that time, after he's ticked, God tells him, I'm not going with you. And this is where we pick up in Exodus chapter 33. You all right? It says, the Lord would speak, this is so good, the Lord would speak to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. This is Moses, this is before Jesus. This is Moses who is not filled with the Holy Spirit, who does not have the Holy Spirit like you do if you're born again. You have a greater connection with God than Moses did. You can speak to God face-to-face like you would your friend. I would say even stronger and have more clarity than Moses had. Because the spirit would just come on Moses, you have it all the time, you have him all the time. So Moses would return to the camp, but I love this. But the young age Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. (sighs) Come on, that's that's who I want to be. I want to be the man that doesn't leave the tent, or the tent doesn't leave me. So Moses said to the Lord, "You've been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know who you're going to send with me. You have said I know you by name, and you found favor with me. If you're pleased with me." Teach me your ways so I can know. So Moses is kind of like in this state, and the tone is very much kind of like, okay, God, you, you're not coming, but I need you to come. Who are you, you going to send then? Who's going to lead these people? How am I going to lead them if you're not with me? I know you're upset because they're worshiping other idols, but what are we going to do here? We, we've got an issue because you're saying you're not going with us. Have you done that with God. a good place for you to be in. God, I'm not going anywhere without you. Most of us will. Most of us will go on without God. Most of us will leave this place and go on and do our week without God. Moses is like, I'm not going to do it. How am I going to lead my family? How am I going to lead my tribe? How how, how am I going to do this if you don't go with me? I need to know your ways. Why? So I can know you. There we go. And continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Remember God? They're your people. You called me to lead them. The Lord replied. replied. Now he had already said, I'm not going. And this is what he says. God changes his tune. Moses, get this, changes God's mind. God doesn't change his mind. He does right here. Because God was like, I'm not going. And Moses said, please go with us. And God says, okay, I'll go. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence, hold, here it is, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you. What pleased God? What pleased God is that Moses went to God and said, God, we won't go without you. They were moving on without you when I was up on the mountain, but Lord, we're not going to go. We'll go back to Egypt or we'll stay here, but we will not go anywhere else unless you go with us. And I'll go with you. I'll do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you, and I know you by name. And then Moses said, "That's awesome. So show me your glory. Show me your kabod. Show me your heavy weight." And this is what the Lord said: "I will make my goodness pass in front of you. See God's. When you see God's goodness, guess what you just saw? You saw His glory." You ask for the glory, and he gives you his goodness. It's an overflow of the glory. His glory is his goodness. In his goodness, his glory is revealed. Jesus, the goodest thing, the best thing, the best thing has already been revealed, the goodest thing. But when God does bless you, it's his glory saying, here it is, here I am, I'll put a little weight on it. I'll put my healing on it. I'll put my substance on your life. I will cause all. <laughs> it's not just goodness. It's like, oh, my goodness. I'm going to show you all my goodness, and it's going to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And, Moses, and then God renews the covenant that he had with his people. He gives Moses a new slate of Ten Commandments. He gives him the law. Everything's lined up from this moment. Now, understand this. There are levels to glory, right? Moses saw God face to face. In there. And then Moses goes. Now, from this moment, Moses goes up back up to the mountain. That's where God gives him the next slate of Ten Commandments. And then God shows Moses who he is again. So it says that God spoke to to him face to face, like a man speaks to his friend. And then he goes up and God says, I'm going to show you my glory. So I'm going to show you my glory of my face, but I'm also going to show you the glory of my goodness. There's levels to this thing called glory. There's different weights, right? And it just... And Moses experiences this crazy moment. So he he goes up, he gets the covenant, and then he comes down. And when he comes down, look what happens. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware. I mean, sometimes God is on you so much, you're not even aware of it. But everybody else is. That's where I want to be. Because we want to draw attention. Look what God's doing. Look what God's doing. You won't have to do that. People will tell you, look what God's doing. So he comes down. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So what happened is Moses' face was beaming with light. It's like he was with God, and then God imprinted his face in such a rich way that light is beaming off his face. I like the noise because that's what happened. Beaming, like so bright. So he comes out, and the people were afraid. When they saw Moses, they're like, dude, that is trippy, right? I mean, sometimes the glory will scare you. And so they saw the glory, and they were like, whoa, what is up with Moses? That's weird. When God shows up, it's not always going to be like what you like. Let's just say that. It's not going to be something you're comfortable with. It's going to be hard to look at. But what was happening is not only were they freaked out about it, the glory was started to fade. So it's like this light was getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And so they said, well, let's do this. Let's put a veil over Moses' face so nobody can see what his face is looking like because it's fading, and we don't want him to lose credibility. So that's what the leaders did. They covered his face with a veil so nobody could see that, and then over time, I'm assuming they just forgot about it. This glory was the residue of this encounter that he had. Has that happened to you before? You encounter the Lord, and it totally transforms you? Am I the only one? The the presence of God, you've, you've had an encounter with God and you're transformed. And then slowly over time, it wears off. This is what happened. Let's talk about glory. Number one, glory is born in desperation. Are you desperate for the glory of God? Are you desperate for the presence of God? Are you like Moses saying, Lord, I won't go. I won't do anything unless you're on it. Unless your weight is on it. Unless your presence is on it. God, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to take the job. I'm not going to raise the family. I'm not going to leave my house today unless your glory is on me. I'm not going to do all the stuff that I need to do unless you go with me. And how many times do we function outside of the presence of God. Because we're busy and we've got things to do. Beloved, it will be so fruitless. It may be successful, but is it fruitful? And if you want it to be fruitful, you've got to stay connected to the vine. You've got to stay connected to the presence. You've got to stay connected to the glory. Lord, don't send us. We don't want to go. We don't want to receive the promise unless we have the person. And I think some of us are just chasing promises. What will God do for me? God, won't you show up? Won't you heal my marriage? Why don't you put some money in my bank account? Won't you give me a new truck? Why don't you do this? Why don't you make me feel this way? Lord, I want all this. As he's going, will you just want me? Will I be enough for you? And I believe that God is putting a stirring in my heart that says, Lord, it doesn't matter for me. I'm driving home yesterday and I'm, I'm listening to a message and my heart's just being stirred. I'm just like, Lord, I don't care if our church has 5,000 people. If we don't have you, I don't want it. I want you. I don't care how much money we have. I don't even care how much humanitarian things that we do. Because there are a lot of people that are doing humanitarian things. They don't have the presence of God. And it doesn't remain. And it doesn't last, but if we can get him, it'll last for the ages. And it'll have eternal significance. Beloved, there are some things that God's just not going to bless. There are some places that God will not go with you. Well, God's with us. He's, he's everywhere all the time. There are some things, some places he's not going to go. I know he's omnipresent, but there's some, some things in your life that he's not going to put his weight on. Are you more hungry... Are you more desperate for the glory of God, the presence of God, than you are this life? See, we'll see a greater level of the glory when we stop living on the fringes of what God permits and go after only what He blesses. We live on the fringes, Lord. Eh, not a big deal. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. Not a big. But is it costing me His presence? Am I so distracted by this life? Am I so distracted by my quote unquote permissions that I'm not going after his presence? My friend Billy Humphrey used to say this. He used to say, If you can live without God, you will. Heaven forbid if I ever live without God. Is is his presence a non negotiable? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty for the Lord? Or have you been satisfied? I mean, this is the minute Jesus stands up on the Sermon on the Mount. What does he say? What's the first thing he comes out? Blessed are the poor, not financially poor, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who are desperate, like a beggar in spirit, for the kingdom will be given to them. Are you hungry? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Are you hungry? Or have you been satisfied with life, with this life, with this world, with the things that this world has offered? I shared this uh, verse with our our team this morning. It's Proverbs 13, 4. And it says, the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Mm, Just kind of whatever happens, you don't ever get anything. But the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Are you diligent in your pursuit of Jesus, of his presence, of the Holy Spirit? Are you desperate for it? Are you just like, "I can probably do it without God?" There are a lot of things of worldly value that you can do without God, but are you willing to say, "I won't do it without him?" It'll be more pleasurable, it'll be more delightful. It'll be more fruitful if you do it with God. If you do it, do it with him as being the end in mind. Number two, number one, glory is born in desperation. Secondly, it grows with transformation. Did you know that God transformed you to carry the glory of God? The reason why you had to get born again is because you can't carry the weight of God on your own. I know you got your glory. Which glory is being promoted? Is it God's glory or your glory? See, we have to be, in order to to carry the supernatural, we have to be supernaturally transformed. We have to be transformed in order to carry the glory because you can't handle it on your own. You can't handle it in the natural. You've got to give, spirit must give birth to spirit. Our lives, listen, our lives are hidden in Christ. This is why. So we can carry the glory of Christ. Listen, the glory of Christ is, is on the church, on you. You are the church, not the building. You are the church. You are the bride of Christ. God's glory is on you. so much. And what I love about his glory is his glory governs. His glory governs. It rules. It reigns. And his weight dominates. His weight dominates. Other, so what we do, t- typically what we do is, is we live without God, Okay, I'm not saying you didn't say a prayer. I'm not saying you're not saved. But we really live like the presence of God is a non-negotiable. We really do. We're just, we kind of do our thing. And then we go to God when we need something. When we're way down. When we're weighed down. And we go, Lord, oh, man, my finances are a mess. My marriage is a mess. My relationship. My job. I don't like my job. So I'm praying. Typically, that's how most people, listen, most people approach God on a need-to-know basis. <laughs> I need to know that you're with me, so I'll pray. I need, I need to have some money in, my ba- in the bank, so I'll pray. I need, some need, I need some need fulfilled, so here I am, God. And he loves to meet your needs. But what he wants is he wants you to want him. And what, this is what happens. Whenever we experience his weight, the weight of those things don't bear weight on us because he's a heavier weight, his weight is way heavier. And his, listen, his weight is delightful. And so the, the weight that you carry, the weight that your troubles carry is dreadful. But his weight is delightful. So if you, can, if you can get desperate enough and hungry enough and to be transformed enough and allow his weight to dominate and to govern your life, if you will allow that, the weights that are thrown at you and the difficulties that are thrown at you will seem so light. Because you've got the heavy presence of God. And it's crushing the strain of the other weights. Let's go after the glory. His weight dominates. As his weight gets heavier, ours get lighter. All the junk that you're carrying. All the junk. I know that you have all this stuff. I know you have all these issues. I I know that you need it resolved. But listen, if you will make your life about one thing, If you will make your life about one person, about the presence of God, I guarantee you those things will seem so insignificant. They won't keep you up at night. It won't be all that you ever post about on Facebook. Nobody knows the trouble. You just need an encounter with God. And then allow that encounter to transform you where you are bearing more weight. Look, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 got a lot of reading here listen now if the ministry that had brought death now this is speaking of the ministry of moses the law the old covenant this is what paul calls it the ministry of death which was engraved in letters of stone came with glory even that had some glory so that the israelites could not look steadily at the face of moses because its glory was fading though it was will not the ministry of the spirit be even more glorious is not what you possess more than what Moses possessed? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious, for what was glorious had no glory now in comparison to the surpassing glory. So we don't have a fading glory, we have a surpassing, we have an increasing glory. And if that was fading away, came with glory. How much greater is the glory of that which, which, which lasts? Therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. Why, not, why aren't our bold? Because you don't have hope. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance is fading away and their minds are made dull. Even to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. So good. So much good theology here. It was not removed because uh, only in Christ it's taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, the veil covers their hearts. But when anyone turns to the Lord, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil is taken away. And it says this, the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I know we love to sing about this, but what this is saying is you have a freedom to encounter the glory of God. And we, with unveiled faces, we don't have a veil anymore. It says this, we all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness. We are being transformed to look like Jesus. Because I'm encountering the glory. The glory with this is what it says ever increasing glory ever increasing glory so the glory doesn't fade from our encounters it grows it gets brighter it gets heavier good heavy it gets heavier and some of you you've had encounters with the lord and it was heavy but it's light now its influence bears no weight. So, the third thing that happens is that it produces amplification. It produces amplification. So, glory is born in desperation, grows in transformation, and produces amplification. What is amplification? Amplification is what an amplifier does. That's an amplifier right there. I can pick up Miho's guitar right here and strum it, and you can barely hear it. But if I plug it into that amplifier and turn it up to 10, you'll be able to hear it. You'll probably leave the room. It will be loud. Why? Because it is being amplified. This is the way the glory of God is supposed to happen in your life. It is supposed to be amplified. It is supposed to be brought up, not toned down. As the culture gets darker, the church gets brighter. Are you with me? We just continue to increase. We boost a signal. It's not our signal. We're just an amplifier. It's his signal, but we control the volume. It's his signal. It's his instrument, but you control the volume. And some of you have just turned down. Beloved, just keep turning it up. I've played in bands for a Long time. Thank God you've been delivered of that. And Leslie and I always had this tension because it seemed like the guitar got louder and louder from the time practice happened to the time the worship set happened. Well, it got louder and louder for a reason. (laughs) Somebody touched the knob. Thank the Lord. Sound good to me. See, you're the dwelling place. You're the containers of the glory. And we have the ability to release the beauty of God. Why don't people know who God is? Because we've got our amp muted or turned down. God, would you do something? He's saying, go for it. I'm going with you. Lord, do something. Move. Heal a body. Go for it. I'm there with you. Lord, just touch them without my involvement. I don't do that. I use people always. God uses people. We want, we want God to be like a fairy. Lord, just do something. There it is. Right? We want him, we want him to, to bypass us. He doesn't do that. He uses people. How does God move on the earth? He moves through you. How is his glory increased on the earth? It's through you. Moses, listen, Moses had the glory on him. We have the glory in us. And it's an unfading glory. We are more powerful, beloved. We're more powerful than Moses. (laughs) Because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Not because you're awesome. But if you study the life of Moses, he wasn't really that great either. (laughs) He did a lot of no-nos. More than you. Bigger ones than you. Yet God used him because he was desperate. Yeah, maybe because he was so flawed, he knew that he needed God. You know, we are singing this song earlier. Cover the earth, cover the earth, cover the earth. When we're praying for revival, normally what we're doing is saying, cover the earth, Lord, just come and fall on the earth. And he's like, yeah, I want to do that. But as we learned in the last series that that the move of God doesn't happen by the move of God falling. It flows. It flows out of his people. And this is what he says in Isaiah. He says, arise and shine. Arise, get up and shine. For your light has come. Jesus already came. The light of the world already came. You know what Jesus said? He said, now you're the light of the world. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. see, darkness covers the earth. <laughs> oh, it does, Lord. And thick darkness over the people, yes. But the Lord rises on you. And his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light. You're just emitting the flame. They'll come to the light that's in you, and kings to the brightness of the dawn. How does the glory of the Lord fill the earth? That's what it says in, in Habakkuk chapter 2 14. It says, The glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It'll be totally submerged. Love that. But it doesn't happen. by us just praying for revival and fasting and sitting in our house with the door closed and praying and fasting for revival. It happens from us going out and being revival. It happens with us turning the knob up on our amplifier and say, Lord, let your glory increase in my life. I'm desperate for your presence. I'm being transformed so I can carry more, and I'm amplifying the glory of God, the beauty of God. I'm not amplifying Josh Brown. I'm amplifying Jesus. Jesus, increase. That's what John the... He must increase and I must decrease. I want to turn my volume down and his volume up.